This is Beyond Reading the Bible, where we connect you with the living Word. Welcome to another episode of Beyond Reading the Bible. My name is Randy McCracken. And I'm Lindsay Kennedy. We're glad to have you all with us today. In our first podcast, Lindsay, we entitled it The Big Picture, and we looked at the Bible as a whole and talked about the significance of stepping back and seeing the forest and not just the trees and getting the overall picture of Scripture. And one of the things that you and I have a heart for is doing that also with individual books of the Bible. And so we want to inaugurate in this series uh, some podcasts that will deal with this idea of looking at the big picture of a biblical book. And today you're going to look at the big picture of the book of Psalms. And I know you have a lot of great insights for us on the book of Psalms. Mm, Thank you, Randy. Yes, we're going to begin with the book of Psalms. It's a book that's dear to my heart and it's been a huge blessing to me. These days, when people listen to music, especially with the younger generation, including my generation, people are beginning to listen more by putting music on shuffle. That's even true of me, and I'm of the older generation. I enjoy that idea of hearing different artists and different songs mixed in together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that that is a good thing, and there is enjoyment to be found there to just play maybe your favorite songs, greatest hits. I mean, that's always been a popular Mm -hmm. thing to have a record of someone's greatest hits. You just skip all of the filler and go straight for the killer, as they say. And really, I think through through the iPod and through the iPhone and through these devices, that's really brought about in some ways, the death of the album, the idea of collection of songs from a specific point of time, maybe with general sound that's similar between all the tracks and you you put it all together as an album. And this is even worse for for the concept album. If our listeners are not familiar with the concept album, it's a highly structured album where each song contributes to an overall theme. Or maybe even a storyline, if you want to get even more wacky and out there. Right. A lot of uh, psychedelic albums or a lot of uh, progressive rock albums in, from the 70s, especially, yeah. were, were very driven by this sort of a concept. People say that one of the first was um, Sgt. Pepper from That's the Beatles. Right. It's often lauded as the original concept album, yeah. although I think John Lennon kind of disagreed yes, with that. Yes, that's right, yeah. It was yeah. He didn't like that. Definitely McCartney's idea to mm. make it. A concept. Type yeah, album. so there's a big theme, and even Magical Mystery <coughs> Tour has that same yeah, right. kind of thing going on there. And then you've got some others, um, again, classic rock albums like Pink Floyd's The Wall, where there's actually a storyline. So it's even more specific. There's a storyline that's being told over all the all the songs, and David Bowie's Ziggy Stardust, where he's playing the part of a character in all of his songs. And even more modern music. My my wife's favorite musician actually is a guy called Arion, and it's a bit obscure, but people can Google it. And he has, each individual album tends to be between an hour and a half to two hours long, wow. double disc, and each singer is a different character, <laughs> and they're playing different roles and all sorts of things. Anyway, we won't spend any more time talking about that, <laughs> but I, she won me over. But anyway, this is what we can often do with the Psalms as well, is we can, we can listen to the Psalms as if they're on shuffle, mm. right? We can read the Psalms as if they're on shuffle, and that's generally the way that most people, I think, would read the Psalms. Even throughout history, that's how most people have read the Psalms. We, w- we often treat it like it's a greatest hits disc, right? David's greatest hits, so let's just throw them in any order and, and away you go. Right. Or the old, uh, let me flip open my Bible and see what passage it lands at, and that's the one I'll read. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And with the Psalms, I, we feel like that's a bit more acceptable, maybe, right, yeah. than any other way of doing that. 
But what I want to talk about in this episode is just how valuable that approach can be, not wanting to uh, disparage that idea, but also that there's another way of reading the Psalms, which is to read it more like this sense of a concept album, mm. right? Where there's a real storyline, there's themes to it that are being carried across over more than just one song or one psalm. So there's really an intentional structure, that's what I would even say, and even so far as saying there's a storyline that the psalms are presenting. So that's interesting, because even though the psalms were obviously written individually, some by David, some by other authors, what you're suggesting is that there's the, the book's been put together in mm -hmm. a way that communicates a, a, a theme or several, several mm -hmm. themes, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying, is that the, you've got individual psalms from individual time periods and individual authors, but that at some point in history, these were put together in a book. And that's what we have. We have the Psalter, mm. or the Book of the Psalms. And we've never really been, we've never been given the individual psalms. What we've been given in God's Word is the Psalter, the finished book, mm -hmm. uh, which, which has signs of structure and intentionality behind the ordering of these psalms. So someone, an editor inspired by God, has put these together in some kind of purposeful arrangement. And whoever did this, this was a very uh, weighty, heavy task for them because they're collecting and, and putting together all of Israel's songs spanning hundreds of years, really, going as far back as Moses, like Psalm 90, all the way up to Psalm 126, which records re the return of the exile. We have references to them returning in that psalm. So we know that whenever the psalms was put together as a finished product, it must have been at the very early stages of the return from the exile. Mm -hmm. And if this person was given this task, just as, let's say, one of us was asked to be a DJ at a wedding, put together a song playlist for dancing and all sorts of arrangement of the music, I'm sure we would put some thought into it. We wouldn't mm -hmm. just click shuffle and all of our music was put into the, into the playlist. But we would choose songs carefully, and then we would choose the flow of those songs. And I believe this is exactly what has happened with the Psalms again. So reading the Psalms only individually would be, I think, a little bit like eating a burger, taking it apart and eating the bun, and then eating the meat, then eating the tomato, eating the lettuce. You can do that, right. and those ingredients on their own are fine, but you're missing out that there's another way of... of coming alongside you and saying, hey, why don't you uh, just put these all together and take a bite of this and see what that's like. There certainly is a pleasure in eating it all together, that's <laughs> for sure. So, Lindsay, would you say that, it, that it's wrong to read the Psalms individually? Well, I wouldn't say that it's wrong, uh, but I'd say that there's more that can be done as well. More than one way of reading it, mm. I see. And, yeah. and so many times we only know of one way to read it. Yeah, exactly. It's the most natural way, I think, is to open a psalm and to read it individually mm -hmm. uh, as, an, as a prayer that is applicable really to any appropriate context. So mm -hmm. I find a psalm that says, I'm, I'm in despair, help me. And I think that's, well, I'm in despair and that's my cry to the Lord. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with reading it in that sort of an individual way. Uh, someone has once said that the Psalms are a hymn book for the soul in any season. Mm -hmm. So any, anything that we go through, we can turn to a Psalm and there's, there's going to be something there that can connect with us. And I'm not wanting to take that away from anyone. But there's also other ways of reading these Psalms. Another way would be to read them historically, which would be to not just say, well, these words prove me, Lord, and try me, test my heart and my mind. Maybe those words refer to a specific instance in the psalmist's life. And so that would be to read them historically, to, to find the specific context that lies behind the psalms. 
Now, obviously, that's not necessarily an easy thing to do. In fact, most of the Psalms give very little in, in way of uh, background information. Right. But there are a few of the Psalms that have headings that mm. suggest a particular setting, for instance, in the life of David. Yeah, especially in the life of David. You've got Psalm 18, for example, that has the longest introduction that says, The Psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when he, the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty clear the background and the context of that. So that's another way is to, you could read Psalm 18 and say, wow, this really meets me where I'm at. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that kind of a reading. But we could also read it historically and say, this gives us some insight into David, his life, his storyline. Where does this fit? Okay, I see where it fits. Well, that gives us some more information. Right. And then a, the third way, which is the way that we want to talk about in the rest of this episode, would be to read it canonically. And that's to read it in context of the canon, right? Mm -hmm. To read it in, in light of the other books. And specifically in light of itself, right? <laughs> where each psalm is read in light of the other psalms within this book of the Psalter. So this, by doing this, it draws out that there's a structure. But then we also see, I would argue, a storyline progressing over the psalms from Psalm 1 to Psalm 150. Lindsay, that's definitely a different way of reading the psalms. And it really intrigues me. But let me ask you a question. Does the book of Psalms itself offer any clues that there's a structure to it? Yeah, there, there are some clues. Uh, maybe the first most obvious one is that, that we within the book of Psalms, we have markings that there's book one, book two, book three, book four, book five. And those are not added by the translators as we have maybe a psalm heading like, I will bless the Lord. Now that's something that a translator has put in. Mm -hmm. But we'll find other things like of David. Now that's in the original text. So even just beginning there, that's a very obvious sign that there is some kind of structure to these psalms. Right. Okay. Now, what kind of structure do the psalms have then? And I'm really interested to see how you answer this question, uh, because yeah. that will really give us a different way of looking at the psalms. Mm. There's a lot that could be said about this. So what I'm going to do is just give some of the highlights that are the highlights that are most generally agreed upon because mm -hmm. there's obviously with many of these things there's areas of certainty and areas of less certainty and then there's opinions and right. so, so this on. isn't just your idea something no. strange and novel that you've come no, up I with. wish I wish I did come up with this <laughs> but no it's I believe obviously that the editors of the Psalms came up with this right but it's that, also recognized, something recognized by, other, by yeah. the teachers and scholars yeah exactly yeah right okay so just looking sort of at the macro level or the big picture You've got Psalm 1 and 2, and Psalm 1 and 2, there, there are many hints that these psalms are actually introducing the book of the psalms. So these two psalms are a little bit like an overture if you're watching a, a musical or been to an actual musical. There's an overture where you have this melody being played through the beginning before the story really begins, and that melody suddenly changes to another melody and then to mm -hmm. another one. And at the end, you realize, oh, those were all the melodies of the songs that are about to come up. Right. And that's a little bit like what Psalm 1 and 2 do. They give us these major themes of what we find in the rest of the book of the Psalms. So Psalm 1 introduces us to the law or the Torah mm -hmm. and introduces us to the wise man who meditates on it and introduces us to the wicked and the idea of wisdom, finding wisdom in the Lord's word. And then Psalm 2 introduces us to the king or the son of God the Messiah, and this is a, very much a royal psalm. Mm -hmm. And there's ideas here that God will appoint his king to be ruler over the whole earth. 
And so we have these two ideas being introduced in the Psalms. And that's, that's one marker there. Another is, as I mentioned, the five books, uh, such as Psalms 1 through 41 being the first book, or Psalms 73 through 89 being book three. And we see these even in our own Bibles. We can trace those and find, find markings that those are the books. Another big picture structure is that every book, book one through four, closes with a doxology, blessed be the Lord, something along those lines. And then book five, it doesn't have a single verse or maybe one or two verses. It actually closes in five hallelujah psalms. Mm. So we've got each book closing with a, a moment of doxology or praise. And if we were to compare them, especially in books one through four, there's a lot of similarity with, with these doxologies. Um, and what's quite interesting is to, to look at what's different about them as well. Mm. But that's, that's going beyond Beyond our podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's beyond the podcast. That could be the beyond, follow-up beyond episode. Reading yeah. Right, okay. Well, yeah, so just to kind of sum up real quickly what you're saying then, that Psalm 1 and 2, you're telling me that the ideas found in those two psalms can be found throughout the rest of the other 148 mm-hmm. psalms, basically. Yes, yeah, you, can, you could turn to any psalm, and I think you'd find at least one of the themes, mm. um, if not one of the major themes of wisdom, Torah, and king. Those themes run very often throughout the Psalms. Even, even if it's in the background, you'll still find that they're mm. going to be there. Um, and very much the Psalms are, are giving us the story, I believe, of the king being established and God's Messiah being brought into the world and everything he's going to accomplish. I think we find these ideas throughout the Psalm. It's, it's very much a book focused on David, very much a book focused on the promises to David, the Davidic covenant, as it's known, really the climactic covenant in the Old Testament where God is going to fulfill all his promises through this one king. Mm-hmm. And so there's all these hopes that are being carried across in this altar. Great. So um, maybe you can share with us a little bit about this uh, storyline uh, in a moment. But before we get to that, um, there's some other ways in which the Psalms are grouped, isn't there? Mm. Yeah, for example, within the books, you've got collections of certain authors. So again, David didn't write every psalm, but he did write, I'd say, the majority of the psalms. Book one, I would argue he wrote every psalm, but even even just from what we have written down in book one, he wrote virtually all of them. But we also have other characters such as Asaph, and we have collections of Asaph, such mm-hmm. as in book three, it begins with the collection of Asaph psalms. Then we have the sons of Korah, and they introduce book two, for example, and we have them popping up here and there. Then we have other individuals such as Solomon and even Moses. Mm -hmm. But in terms of collections, where you have multiple psalms by a certain author, we have those collections, David, Asaph, and the sons of Korah. And these have their own sub-categories to them, or sub-themes that carry across another element of the storyline or have their own little structure to them. We find that sort of getting into a more of a macro or zoomed in sort of level, mm. we find these sorts of things. We also have the Psalms of Ascents, which are a collection of Psalms known as the Psalms of Ascents. And then we also have Hallelujah Psalms. And these are collections of Psalms that, that end or begin or begin and end in mm. Praise the Lord, known as Hallelujah, which many of our listeners may not be aware. I was certainly surprised that Hallelujah is quite a rare word in the Bible. So we sing it all the time in our worship songs, but it actually doesn't show up that often. So when you have psalms, including the word hallelujah, we should pay attention. It's very interesting. And then we also have 
other things such as acrostic psalms where each line perhaps or each section of the psalm begins with a new letter of the Hebrew alphabet? That, that's one of the artistic things about the Hebrew, Hebrew poetry, uh, not only in the Psalms, but in other books, Lindsay, as you know. But how can we tell in our English Bible if a psalm is an acrostic psalm? Yeah. Well, it, sometimes it can be a bit difficult because, of course, if we're not reading in the Hebrew, it wouldn't necessarily stand out. It doesn't carry across into the English, where we have each line beginning with the different letter of the English alphabet. But sometimes we'll have a footnote in our Bible. Uh, let's say in my Bible, Psalm 25, for example, is an acrostic. And I've got a little footnote next to the 25 here. And at the very bottom, it says this is a, an acrostic psalm. Another hint is that the acrostics, of course, with there being one line for every character of the alphabet, there are 22 characters in the Hebrew alphabet. So if the psalm has 22 lines or maybe even 22 verses, if the mm -hmm. translators picked up on that, then... You, there's a good hint that this could be an acrostic psalm. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, there's other psalms that do have 22 lines, but they aren't acrostics. Right. But those are also known as semi-acrostics or quasi-acrostics, <laughs> depending on who you talk to. So even those are worth no noticing as well. Right. Um, they show up in key places as well. And then there's the big one, right? Psalm 119, which is usually outlined in everyone's Bible. Mm. And some people may wonder what those little titles are, mm. where it says Aleph and Beit and so on. But those are the actual letters of mm. the Hebrew alphabet in the order. That yeah. The Hebrew alphabet. Yeah, occurs. and with Psalm 19, of course, it's not it's not a different letter of the alphabet for every line. But in this sense, you've got you have a portion of text, a series of lines that begin with the letter of the alphabet. And then the next letter of the alphabet introduces another series of verses. Well, um, it's all really interesting things, but I'll tell you, I'm really anxious to get to this idea of a storyline throughout the book of Psalms. So how exactly does a storyline play out? Right, yes. Well, I think that the Psalter does have a storyline, and I think it's one that carries over the five books of the Psalms, with each book being a major development in that storyline. Mm -hmm. So just as we have maybe, let's say, The Lord of the Rings is a trilogy of books, with the Psalms we have five books, and each book carries a story forward in a larger arc. And just where do you suppose that number five comes yeah, from, exactly. the idea of having yeah. five books? Well, ancient tradition, Jewish tradition, has it as matching up with the Torah, and there's all sorts of speculation as to what the significance is of that mm. fivefold structure, and it's a little bit vague, but the five books certainly i would say are inspired by the five books of moses right so maybe great. it's a mini torah of its own in some way and so the big books carry across the large arc but then i also would think that that you've got sub collections as as i mentioned before that also uh, you could see them as chapters maybe as developing this arc in smaller detail and another thing worth noticing is that the psalms are not chronological so when I say that they're telling a story, I don't mean that Psalm 1 is David being born and Psalm 2 is him growing up and Psalm 3 is him as a teenager and, and so on. But rather, these Psalms are, are written from different historical points of view and timelines and often they're scattered all throughout the Psalter, but that they're scattered in such a way where they tell a story. Mm. A little bit like when you see, maybe it's a bad example, but a ransom note and someone has chopped out bits of magazines right. and... The original context may have been this magazine, that magazine, but by putting it together in this order, it tells its own message. Mm -hmm. And I think we've got a little bit of that going on with the larger picture of the, the Psalms, is that by putting this Psalm next to that one, 
the timing doesn't necessarily matter as much as where it fits in the storyline by putting being put there. Right. So even though you said earlier one way to read the Psalms is historically, examine the historical background, see if we can find out what was going on with the particular writer of this Psalm historically. When it comes to reading the Psalms the way you're proposing, we're kind of looking past the chronology and we're looking to connect the mm-hmm. Psalms uh, and the storyline that... Mm-hmm that the editor or whoever put this mm. collection of psalms together is trying to communicate. Yeah, and we I think another way of putting it is that we're just we're reading what's there and we're not necessarily given the historical background on these psalms. When we are, I think we should factor it in. But when we're not, I think that we should see what the psalm itself is saying. Mm. I think that's the bigger focus. Mm. So just to give one example is I would say that book 1 of the Psalms really establishes David as God's anointed king. That's what we find as a big theme in book one. Mm. I would say that all the Psalms by David, all the Psalms in book one are by David, even the ones that aren't, uh, they're, they're strictly anonymous. I would say they're all by David for reasons that we won't get into now. But that the whole book really describes David being established as God's king, where you've got, let's say, Psalms three through 14, really describing opposition to him being appointed as God's king. Now. Mm. That's what you find in these psalms is opposition after opposition. Even though the first psalm, Psalm 3, is actually about Absalom, it tells us. That it's from the time when Absalom rebelled. And that's not at the beginning of David's life. Right. But by putting them in this order, we find David being opposed. And then we find in Psalms 15 through 24, a profile of the ideal king. And in that, we have Psalm 18, which I mentioned earlier, where David is being established as king, where he's defeated all his enemies. And then in book two, it really carries on, but I think it, it moves to this new stage in the storyline where we're looking for David's sons to meet the hope that we find in Psalm 2 of this, this king who's a worldwide king who defeats all of God's enemies and establishes God's reign. We find that David, of course, he was given the, the covenant. God gave him a covenant and promised that it would be his son that would do all of these things. And so David is looking to his son. And that's why we find book two has a lot of references or veiled references to Solomon. There are elements in the story of book two. There are characters in the story of book two that seem like Solomon. They never outright say it, except for uh, Psalm 72, which may be written by Solomon or maybe about Solomon, which mm-hmm. is another debate for another time but the point is the general idea is that book two really portrays this king and all of the hopes for this king some see book two as describing the kings after david and their reign but i think it's more about the hopes for the king the king the psalm 2 king so we see let's say psalm 45 which is a key early psalm and psalm 72 which is a closing psalm both of these psalms present a king who rules over the world who is even described as elohim and these these are words that I think push beyond Solomon himself, is that they may have hoped, David may have hoped that Solomon meet these things, but we find in his life and through the life of every king after him, no one really meets these standards, such as the Psalm 72 king who reigns in absolute righteousness and who rules the, the whole world. So we, we haven't seen that king. Right. So as we read these Psalms, uh, it begins to dawn on us, wait a minute, this this king did, never existed in, mm-hmm. in David's kingdom. Uh, and so mm-hmm. it causes us, obviously, to look mm-hmm. to the future. Exactly. And that's, it, I presume yeah. it did these, the people reading the book of Psalms then as well. Yes, I think so too. And, and one thing I've, I'd forgotten to mention is that 
because the book of Psalms was put together after the return from the exile, that also puts all of these historical Psalms in new light because the people didn't have a king at this point and they weren't, they were actually being oppressed by their enemies still. And even if you were to say, uh, let's say Joseph and Joseph and Mary in the time of Jesus, of course, let's say that they were thinking of the Psalms. They'd be thinking this way as well as, well, God promised David a king and we see all these Psalms about the hopes for the king and yet we still haven't seen this king. We're still waiting for him. So these Psalms are, even may have originally had a context in their own time. They take on a, a forward-looking aspect to them because not everything in them was fulfilled and there's still elements of God's promises that are waiting to be fulfilled. And that really brings us to book three where book three, if we read these, book, these Psalms in this book, we're going to see that they take a very negative turn, a very uh, depressed and devastated turn. And these, these psalms really describe the exile where, that resulted from the unfaithful kings and the, the nation being sinful and rebelling against God's word. This is a very low point in the Psalter, and it's very short on hope. It really even concludes questioning God's faithfulness. Remember Psalm 2 being a key psalm in the Psalter, Psalm 2 being about God's king that he, he will anoint. Psalm 89, ending book 3, actually questions Psalm 2 outright, and it says, God, you've tied up your character to this promise to David, and yet this promise is not being fulfilled. You've let us down. Your character is being called into question. So that it ends on a very negative note and very hopeless note even regarding God's promise of the king. Yeah, I found when I read through this book, Lindsay, I got pretty depressed yeah. because um, it, it really is showing that dark period, isn't it, in which... Uh, Israel was uh, being oppressed and wondering where God was um, mm. in their situation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the good news is, of course, the Psalms don't end in book three. You Praise have book God four. And hallelujah. Book four, yeah, get exactly. Hallelujah in there. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what's great is that book four, both book three and book four are 17 Psalms long. Book four, you could almost see it as the other side of the coin to book three where what's amazing is they're still in exile. Nothing has changed in book four, but there's a fresh hope there. There's a fresh outlook. In fact, what we find in book four is that they look back to the past and they look back at the time before they had a king, before they had the temple, before they had the land, when they're wandering in the wilderness. And they were sinful then as well, but God preserved them and God was faithful. And so they look back at this time and they find hope there that God will do this again for us. Mm. So book four begins with Psalm 90, yeah. and it ends then with Psalm... 106. 106, yes. okay. And both Great. of these actually are framed by the wilderness wandering. Psalm okay. 90 is the only Psalm of Moses. Right. Psalm 106 recounts the wilderness wandering all the way up to the exile. So we have sort of an inclusio there, exactly, right? Exactly, yeah. Listeners get a plug will have in to, for one yeah. of our other episodes. Exactly, yeah. And so another, another theme in book four is they find hope in God being king. So we find these psalms that are called Yahweh Malach psalms, or mm. the Lord is King, or the Lord reigns. We find these key words showing up again and again in book four. There's a whole section of them in book four. And then we even find hope for David. We find sort of a quiet hope where David returns for three psalms. Now, even though David is dead at this point in the storyline, David's psalms show up. Mm. And we find hints that these are really pointing beyond him because it's a king who's saying, I will reign in righteousness. I will do all these things. The things that really led to the exile through Israel's kings lacking these virtues. Now that helps make sense of 
that idea, because I've always been puzzled why we see David's Psalms, for instance, at the beginning of mm. the book, as you pointed out, and then they're gone for a while, and then they pop up again, and then they're gone for a while. Yeah. So that, that helps make sense if I'm following the storyline. Mm. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, so at this point, David himself represents the Davidic line, the mm -hmm. line of kings, and the promise that God has, has not failed, that he will fulfill his promises to David. And what's amazing then is Psalm 4, book 4, ends with a historic recollection. Three Psalms recall creation, the covenant with Abraham, the creation of the nation of Israel, their exodus, and then wilderness wandering all the way up to the exile. Wow, so it takes us basically all the way from Genesis through Second Kings. Mm, exactly, yeah, right back to where they started in book three mm -hmm. with the exile. And this time, though, it ends in a hallelujah and says, praise the Lord, the Lord will get us through, the Lord will, we know that the Lord will save us. So it really ends on in anticipation. And then that brings us to book five, which describes many things, but it describes the return from exile. It describes renewed hope within Israel and all of the promises and expectations being fulfilled. And we specifically have portraits of the king, such as Psalm 110. And no surprise there, but Psalm 110 is followed by Hallelujah Psalms. Mm. So even there, structurally, we're seeing Psalm 110, the most popular psalm in the New Testament. The psalm quoted about Jesus again and again. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make all your enemies your footstool. That psalm is followed by hallelujah after hallelujah because that's the king that they're waiting for. Mm. So we find this fulfillment in book five. And of course, the surprise ending is that we're still waiting for this fulfillment in some sense in ourselves. We've, we have the beginning of these things being fulfilled in Jesus, but we're awaiting his return to sum up the whole book of the Psalms. That's really good. And uh, I have noticed in the past how at the end of the book of Psalms, you, you have this collection of Psalms that are constantly calling on everyone to praise the mm -hmm. Lord. And so you can see that the book is intentionally ended that way mm -hmm. on this high note of mm -hmm. expectation and of praise to God. Yeah. So it's quite funny to think of the Psalms, the book of the Psalms, as a prophetic book in the sense of an eschatological or end times book. We think of Revelation and Daniel as being prophetic in the sense mm -hmm. of telling the future. But Psalms itself really tells a story, a story of the whole Bible. I think it was Martin Luther who said that we have the whole Bible in the Psalms. And I don't know if he meant this, but I think it applies well. We have the whole story of the Bible here in the Psalms. Well, Lindsay, this is definitely a, an exciting way of looking at the Psalms in, in a way I've ever read it before. And I just want to encourage our listeners to maybe play back through this particular episode and hear the outline that you've presented and then read the Psalms in light of this particular storyline that you've proposed. I think it will definitely enrich all of us uh, to do it that way. And that's what we're after in these podcasts, isn't it? We, we want application. We, we want to help uh, our listeners see new ways of approaching the Bible that will speak to their hearts and encourage their lives and give them uh, some of the depth and, and texture and the richness of, of God's Word. And I think what you presented us today in the Psalms definitely accomplishes that. Mm -hmm. Lindsay, before we conclude this episode, or do you have any concluding thoughts you'd like to share with us? Yeah, well, there's something about this structure that I hadn't mentioned is that in my own study and my own sort of following this storyline and noticing the key placement of certain psalms and here and there, one thing that's been amazing to me is that is I've begun to, to recognize and remember where each psalm fits. 
That's always been a challenge for me. It is, yeah. For me too, I, I knew that when I was studying the Psalms to teach them, I thought, okay, there's 150 of these. How am I going to remember what's what? And I'm sometimes I'm intimidated when I hear someone say, oh, some such and such. I love that one. I think, well, I have no idea what yeah, that what's is. what's that about? <laughs> yeah, and, but ever since doing this study, I've, I've begun to realize that with by noticing these semi-structures, you begin to then realize, well, even if I don't know which one you mean, I know where it fits. And by knowing where it fits. What the theme is in that yeah. particular book of the Psalms. Exactly. And then you know that with that theme, you then know, I have a general idea. So, for example, as I said, uh, Psalm 3 through 14 really describe opposition to David. So you know that if anyone says, oh, Psalm 9, Psalm 10, Psalm 11, you think, okay, I think I've got an idea of what's going on in those Psalms. Or even just the big picture, knowing Psalm 3 through 41 really makes up book 1. Or Psalm 42 through... 72 makes up book two. Mm-hmm. When you know those things and you know the theme of the book, then you think, okay, well, I know that generally if I'm going to dip in at any point, I'm going to have something that contributes to that bigger picture. Mm-hmm. So it's actually been really helpful for me. And memorizing other things such as, which we, won't, we don't have time to get into in this, but memorizing where the acrostics fit, whether the hallelujahs fit, knowing those things also help you then break the Psalms into little portions of, of collections that you can then remember and I've just found that to be really fruitful for me is that I'm beginning to get a grasp on 150 psalms and, and it's just been really great for me. That's great. Well, Lindsay, thanks for taking your time today to walk us through the big picture of the psalms. And we want to thank you as listeners for listening to this podcast. And we invite you to tune in again to our next episode of Beyond Reading the Bible.